and welcome to Now Fear This with Becky and Marie, the podcast about all the things that scare the shit out of us and a few things that don't. Hello, Becky. How are you today? Hey. What are you, what are you fearing, my dear? Oh, yeah. Let's see. Besides the apocalypse now, um, I'm fearing that I don't know how we're going to get back on track because I'm so tired of people not speaking to each other or ending relationships because of politics tired of it and I know a lot of people do that and I hope you don't if you're listening to this but I fear that I feel you on that like I've always been a pretty opinionated person and I when I talk about things I used to not think about am I going to offend somebody with this opinion but once I moved out to LA everyone out here is just so very easily offended more than any place I've ever lived you can meet someone and go to a bar and you're drinking and you're having a great time and then all of a sudden you say the wrong political thing and then the room just goes silent and they don't want to be friends with you anymore (laughs) but now it's that way in texas too i didn't when i lived in texas it wasn't that way people were a little more neutral is not the right word but there wasn't i'll tell you what i think because i grew up in texas and it's a lot different now than it used to be there was a time when people minded their own business and, there was yeah. a, and that was what conservatism meant. Yeah, I mean, I'll give you the perfect example. The Church of Christ was always very much about separation of church and state. So there was never a sermon from the pulpit about politics. It just mm-hmm. didn't come up. Mm-hmm. And I had this absolutely lovely professor at McLennan College. His name was Professor Kennedy. And he's passed away now, but he was so great. And he taught um, politics and economics. And I was very politically active at MCC. I did a political cartoon. I wrote an article for the newspaper. I was a young Republican. And me and this professor had a great relationship and he was like as Democrat as they come. Like he was liberal for Texas. A lot of my professors were. And we would constantly bat around ideas and have conversations. It was all very healthy. And some of my views were changed and some of their views were changed. Do you know what I'm saying? Of course. It wasn't acrimonious at all. And um, so that's that's how much things have changed. Like, it's crazy to me. Having been a professor, there's things that I learned in the last 10 years of my teaching career. You don't talk about, you know, you just don't bring them up. People lose their shit, you know, and then it becomes a, oh, I don't know. Like, I'm not going to say sides, but... I'm not exactly a socially conservative person. I'm not at all. I, I knew I had to be aware of, of that. And then there was a balance of, like you said, talking to people and open-mindedness and trying to be true and write about your beliefs and then not shove it on other people, but still stand where you are, but look around for other ideas, you know, Yeah. that I wish we could still do. Well, and that was kind of the point too. This professor that I was telling you about actually went to the same church as me and it was a very conservative church. I think everybody in that church was probably Republican, but we everyone could worship together and there wasn't like any acrimony over it. I think he and my dad would rib each other about politics every now and then, but it was like fun and lighthearted. Isn't it interesting though, there was also a time in history when people didn't even reveal their politics. There used to be a cliche about at dinner parties, what do you not talk about? And politics was on that, that list. Don't talk right. about politics or your religion. And right. Anyway, I, I so I'm fearing that, and I'm I'm hoping that there is a way out of this darkness of that. I really do. But there's a lot of studies that show that people in the U.S. are more divided than ever than even before, since the Vietnam War. Or even worse than that. Right. Families aren't speaking to each other. It's crazy. I, I always I, I hate that. I've said this to people a couple of times. I mean. Anybody that has a disagreement with me has to understand I come from debate background. So I'm going to argue hard, but I don't think about it later, you know? Yeah, it's not personal. It's not personal. But I've told this to people before when they've been offended. Like, I don't care about politics. I really don't. Your friendship is more important to me, my relationship with you. So if it's upsetting to you to have this difference, let's just not talk about it. That's, that's the tack I've taken with most of my, this is my, if you hear ice, this is my uh, strange concoction of a drink I put together downstairs. Do tell. It's not very good, so no. <laughs> <laughs> so 
so you know that's uh that's my hope is that people by the way i'm just going to throw this out there if there's someone in your life that you're not talking to because of politics maybe just send a quick text and say maybe we could try this again that's my little advice for people yeah Don't because and then this is the case on on both sides maybe we should do an episode about what socialism and fascism are because oh that people, sounds real fun <laughs> it will be a stimulating <laughs> a stimulate i'm sorry becky's already nixed that topic <laughs> the ramifications of what are they ad hominem attacks there's even one I, i'm probably pronouncing it wrong it's like ad unum hitlerum or something it's like accusing someone of being a fascist or like hitler uh, it's it's gone into the debate fallacy realm now so i just think everything is the extreme right this policy is going to turn america into russia or this policy is going to lead to nazism and uh i think they what do they call that a slippery slope that's one of the fallacies but yes that's an often heard argument. So I'm saying one that's what it is. We're talking, I'm going to bring this back around to our last <laughs> episode. So not the previous episode that we just did that was on a death in Texas football, but the one before on QAnon that accidentally came out the day of the attack and the deaths on the Capitol. And one of the things that I have a hard time with, and this goes back to the speech you did in college, it should have won nationals. It actually came in second and you were robbed. Thanks. was on doomsdayers mm -hmm. and dissonance is one of the things we talked about but how do you have enough ability to overcome the dissonance of you said this would happen on this day and it didn't and yet i still believe you and so there were a lot of people who believed that jan 6 was going to be the the storm right. or whatever it was was well, obviously wasn't obviously and yet they're still like they dig deeper in instead of taking a step back and going huh maybe if i was wrong about that i might be wrong about this so that's another thing I wish we could do is just look at it objectively instead of, so you dig in further, the more evidence that is opposed to you. Yeah, I think, I, I do think that, so as, as hard as it is for some people to go, well, I don't want to try to understand these people. I don't want to try to meet them in the middle. We do have to like figure out ways to compromise. That's what's missing is compromise really. Oh um, yeah, some people have, uh, turn that into a bad word yeah. so all right that's enough of that negative stuff i'm <laughs> fearing that and i hope we're going to turn it around turn it around right. america we're going to turn around and and you know the thing is we are like the gods of our podcast so we can cut all this out <laughs> if it's terrible you know speaking of gods what are you fearing today Marie? oh yes that was a nice segue thank you well i am fearing something that i didn't even know i should fear and that is, well, I've always kind of hated going to the gynecologist. It's not my favorite thing. And so in particular, when it comes to gynecologist, it's gonna be a woman. And so I got this new doctor and this thing always happens to me, you know, they, they give you like a paper robe. Do they give you a paper robe or is that just a thing out here to save money? I don't know. Like when you strip down, they give you a paper um, robe. Um, yeah. Anyway, it's like a, yeah. a paper jacket. Well, it's more hygienic too. You just throw it away instead of- Probably, yeah. But they, they look at me and they kind of estimate the size and they always give me like a really tiny one that I can't pull shut. Well, oh my this, gosh. Uh, this is a problem of my life. Like when somebody buys me something, they always buy me like a small and I'm actually a large. So it's like, but anyway, so they give me the right size and I'm so excited that it's the right size and that I can like pull it on I like incredible hulked it and like ripped it <laughs> so like it's now it's like off the shoulder it's like an Ooh. off yeah it was very sexy and then and then the doctor comes in and of course there's that whole moment where you get in the stirrups and and they're like scoot further up <laughs> scoot further up and then you rip the gown even more I mean it's a it's a horrific experience going to the gynecologist. And then I was also thinking like, you know, when you put your legs in the stirrups and you're like spread eagle or whatever, like your natural inclination is to always like, your knees are like creeping closer together. And then the doctor is like, spread them further. And then I was thinking while I was on the 
stirrups. I was like, what if you had a patient that was like, fuck it. Yeah. I'm spreading my legs as wide as possible. <laughs> would that creep the doctor out or would the doctor be like, yes, finally. So I had a, um, I was getting a bikini wax one time and this woman who was doing it had been doing it for years and years and years on anybody, everybody, men, women, you know, and so she was telling me, I said, you've got some crazy stories, right? She said, yeah. One time I was just doing a regular bikini wax and I turned around to do the to scoop the wax out of the thing and the girl on the table lifted her right leg like behind her ear for it and she's like oh, oh my god that's what I'm gonna do the next time <laughs> I go to the gynecologist I'm just gonna have my legs behind my head like a pretzel like a contortionist. <laughs> yeah no I mean basically I was so uncomfortable that the doctor was like having to manhandle me I'm like I'm sorry I'm sorry well, so when you go to the gynecologist, you're always dreading it. But have you ever feared that when you go to the gynecologist, your gynecologist might artificially inseminate you with his own sperm? <laughs> I have not. I have not ever had that fear. No. Okay. Well, get ready, folks, because I'm about to implant this seed. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. All right. So James had told me about this documentary called Baby God on HBO. And we decided to watch it. I had no idea. I watched it cold. I had no idea what I was seeing. So this is one of those documentaries. I'm going to read the HBO uh, description of it. And I don't know if Becky would recommend watching it, but if you're interested in the topic, I think it's interesting. I could give and, you my brief review after you're done with that. But what I would say is this is not a mystery documentary. You know, going into it, what it's about, no mysteries will be revealed. That is not true. Okay. So here we go. Becky will tell you that that's not true. What I found interesting about it was hearing the the victims and hearing the attitudes of the doctors. That's what I found interesting. But let me read yeah. the description. Documentary Baby God presents a haunting probe into the work of infamous Nevada fertility specialist, Dr. Quincy Fortier, a man who deceived countless women struggling to conceive by using his own sperm without their knowledge or consent to impregnate them. Recalling a time before sperm banks when little was understood about DNA and inherited genetic traits, the film reveals egregious once undetectable truths about Fortier's medical practice as well as his alleged sexual abuse of family members following several of his biological children as they grapple with new information about their origins and their own identities the film examines the morality of one doctor who used science and status to exploit innumerable women and further his own genetic legacy over nearly half a century. So do tell why, why you think it's, what you think about the documentary. And well, that description gives away everything. When I saw it, I didn't know one thing about it. And the, and the actual rape and molestation and forcing his own children to have his babies, his stepkids and all that stuff, that was revealed to me, as well as some people that he'd put out, he actually did physically penetrate them and rape them. He didn't just stick a needle up inside of them or a tube or whatever. So that stuff was news to me. We were watching it and going, I'm pretty sure he's probably raping these women, but they didn't reveal that till towards the very end. I didn't really enjoy the film. I thought it was really slow and, and, and just at the times I didn't need to watch a sperm, you know, swim along inside of a microscope, you know, just tell the story. But it was interesting. I really right. wish they'd spent more time with his sexual abuse crimes. Now I know that the crime of being impregnated by somebody that you didn't ask for or consent to is a crime and it's a horrific violation but I think the bigger part was that this was just this man was a monster just a monster well that is true so let's let's just talk about the the crimes because I, I feel like there's three levels of of crimes here that are being committed and they have different ramifications I would say like legally and in, in terms of how we define it so one of the victims, Wendy Babst, is uh, featured in the film quite a bit. She was a retired uh, captain of the Clackman County, Oregon Sheriff's Department. And the way she found out that Dr. Fortier was her father was she did an Ancestry.com DNA test. So this is, a lot of this is being revealed now because of the DNA tests. A lot of crimes are being solved because of DNA tests. Well, she... Uh, took the test and all of a sudden she's seeing on her father's side 
Quincy Fortier. That, that that's her father. That's the DNA line, not her actual father. So her actual father has passed away. She goes to her mother and she's like, what's going on? Who's this Quincy Fortier guy? Well, the mother had gone to Dr. Fortier and her husband had provided a sperm sample. So she thought she was being impregnated with her husband's sperm. But it turns out Fortier used his own sperm. So that, we can argue whether or not that's, that's rape, but it's definitely fraud, right? Someone came in, they wanted to get pregnant, but they wanted to get pregnant with their husband's sperm. Now, other people come in and they want to get impregnated with a random donor. Or a friend who was a donor or something, yeah. Yeah, but a lot of people are like, anonymous donor. I'm fine with an anonymous donor. So you could argue that 40A was an anonymous donor, but it's still not what, it's not exactly what the people came in for. Then you have the next level of 40A, which is the example of Mike Otis. There was a guy by the name of Mike Otis who his father was kind of, the guy he thought was his father was like a bad guy, a criminal, and the guy left his mother. And so he still wanted to do a DNA test just to, just to see, he was curious. And Fortier came up as his dad. Well, what's weird about that and what, what's terrible about it is his mother, Dorothy, was a newlywed at the time. And she actually didn't want to have children. She didn't go to Fortier for fertility treatment. She went to Fortier for like a yeast infection. And she was on the skids with her husband and was about to divorce him and start school and start a new life. And then all of a sudden she turned up pregnant. So essentially, I mean, she says in the documentary, she's glad she has her son, but it kind of ruined her life. Like it, it certainly yeah, yeah. changed the course of her life. To she, have said an she, said, she said all of the things I could have done that I was not able to do because of this. She was going to go back to university or whatever and get her degree. Yeah. So, I mean, in the, in the strict definition of the, the term rape, as it's defined legally, he didn't penetrate her with his penis. We he, don't know. Well, from what he, I... Didn't he put her out? No? I don't think so. From what oh, I understand... Okay, okay. Okay. From what I understand, he just inseminated her against her wishes. There were other ones that, yes, it was, he did penetrate. So then there's the, there's the stepdaughter, Connie. Oh, now, this one is the worst. This one I can't even just, oh. Yeah, so he was married to this woman and she had kids and he had a stepdaughter and it was like the stepdaughter, the way it was described was like, she had a stomach ache. She got a gynecological exam. You know, she had a headache, she got a gynecological exam. So he was doing gynecological stuff on his daughters and his biological daughters, as well as adopted daughters. And because the state inexplicably after he was divorced also allowed him to adopt two girls. Now in the documentary, the two girls he adopts won't admit that they were molested, but they do say they had the gynecology exams all the time. Which to me that's molestation, so. But Connie, turns up pregnant now maybe maybe I misunderstood when I watched the documentary but my understanding was that Connie was surprised that she became pregnant because she was not sexually active that's what that's what it was okay well it's been a couple of weeks since I watched this but I was talking to Curtis about it and from what we were talking about it wasn't it wasn't clear maybe or I made it up in my head and I apologize for this misinformation if I'm getting it wrong but it was something like where he perhaps gave her a local and then she didn't feel exactly what went inside her from the waist down. And that's maybe that was just me filling in blanks. But anyway, um, yeah, it's, it, the point is he impregnated his stepdaughter, yeah. Connie, because she was not feeling well one day. And so he put her on the table, looked at her undercarriage, and then she's pregnant. Yeah. So, so maybe nobody will ever know. It's possible that yeah, or I apologize out, if I'm misremembering the movie. Yeah, so I don't, it's possible yeah. it was flat out rape, but the way I heard it was he just decided I'm going to impregnate this person. And she would never had sex. I mean, exactly. you know, that was, yeah. So when she became pregnant, he sent Connie off to Michigan to some home for wayward women to like 
have the child and give it up for adoption and then he refused to let her have an abortion yeah back then it was still up to parents they could stay to sign off and then here we go years and years later the son that was a product of this does a dna test and it turns out his dad is dr quincy fortier and this has happened to so many people they now have it's almost like a reunion where children of Quincy Fortier meet together they've connected on the internet and they get together and like talk about this and Um, he did this for for like the 40s through the 90s or something oh yeah I mean he did this for 50 60 years right Yeah. yeah yeah so he has some kids who are in their 70s and some kids who are you know in their 30s or something so maybe i'm just um spoiling some of the the reveals but i i didn't find it to be like like the staircase or one of these other documentaries where i feel like there's something if you find out about it it ruins it like i i just thought personally, oh i see what you're saying no i yeah. don't think so i don't think this spoils yeah. it no no i'm saying it's still worth watching it even if you know what happened yeah. but as I was as I was watching it, and I don't know if this is the case with all doctors that do this, but as I was watching it, I was like, okay, why is this guy doing this? And then when I find out he was sexually molesting his own children, and then I'm like, okay, so he's a sicko. This is, he's getting a twisted thrill from doing this. Uh, but I think more importantly, whenever you're talking about a fear, and we talked about this during the QAnon episode, you want to sort of parse out, is this a real thing to be afraid of? Or is this just like a a limited activity? So I did a little bit of research. How common is it for doctors to violate ethics in this way? Well, of course, when you watch the documentary, there's other doctors that are interviewed and they talk about this with complete callousness. They're laughing and joking about it, how commonplace that was expected. And what else were we supposed to do? The women were happy. They got pregnant. Everybody wins. So CNN, February 14th, 2019, uh, Dutch doctor Jan Karabat is suspected of fathering 200 children in this manner. The Telegraph of April 8th, 2012, Leonard Berthold Weisner and his wife, Mary Burton had a clinic. And this guy, Berthold, is suspected of fathering 600 children. There's a guy named Donald Klein in the United States that's racked up at least 60 children. There's another guy in Colorado. There's cases in Texas, cases in California. So it's pretty widespread within the fertility community. I don't know if it's still widespread, but at least since up until the 90s it was pretty commonplace uh, yeah. now yeah. not all these doctors are dr Fortier. i think some of these doctors are just trying to satisfy clients and have questionable ethics but i did some research and i found the first example of using doctors using their own sperm being documented medically The Atlantic of March 18th, 2019 says that sperm donation was shrouded in secrecy from the beginning. In 1884, a doctor named William Pancoast found himself unable to cure a wealthy man in Philadelphia who was struggling with infertility. Not one to give up, Pancoast tried something new. After sedating the man's wife with chloroform. Nice. (laughs) Right? It's already sounding like a crime. He injected her with semen from his best looking medical student. This was the first documented case of a successful donor insemination. This is an interesting part of it. Not only did he chloroform the wife, right? (laughs) He chloroforms the wife. He thinks, yeah, you know what? I'm just going to like chloroform my patient and inject her with this rando handsome guy's sperm. Uh He doesn't consult the husband. Only afterwards... He tells the husband and tells the husband that you should never tell your wife. They agree. (gasps) Yeah, they agree. Ends justify the mean and the healthy baby justifies the lie. So by the the 1970s, 
hundreds of doctors were performing. Now, by the way, this is documented. So when people How'd are- they get found out? Well, when people are studying gynecology and stuff like that. Oh, go ahead, what? No, I mean, that case, he said, never tell anybody. Well, right, right. Pancoast doesn't reveal in his medical journals who he did it to. Oh, he's just telling a story about. Yeah. So he's like instructing other medical students. Hey, a lot of the time, I mean, it's like the whole King Henry VIII conundrum, right? He's like killing all of his wives because he's not getting what he wants. And it turns out he's not because he's the the problem. He's Mm -hmm. the problem. Yeah. So this is a common thing that a lot of men just don't don't have viable sperm. So the doctors find out, well, if I have viable sperm or my medical students do, this is the solution. So by the 1970s, hundreds of doctors were performing donor insemination across the United States, but secrecy still prevailed. Doctors advised patients not to tell their children. A 1977 survey found that more than half of the doctors didn't even keep records so they have no paper trail connecting donor and child. It was just basically a bunch of people practicing together and just mixing it up with their sperm. Secrecy sprang in part from uncertainty over who would be the legal father of the donor conceived child, a question that hadn't been resolved in states yet, but it also came from the fear of doing psychological harm. The child might feel rejected, the sterile husband might feel humiliated, and the wife might be condemned as an adulteress. These were concerns that people had. Oh, God. This is from a book uh, by a professor named uh, Kara Swanson called Banking on the Body. So this goes into, I really, what I, one of the things I want to talk about, which is the motive of the doctors, right? So in this case, it seems like the doctor's motive is he's really like looking for a solution. And I'm sure you have some sciencey, mathy people in your life that, are problem solvers and don't always necessarily think out the ramifications of things. So in some cases, there's just this arrogance by people in science, like like some of the LSD experiments that were done in the United States or things like that, where people just don't, or like the Tuskegee experiments, why would that be okay? Why is it okay to experiment on people without their consent? That's what the, this seems like to me well if we're talking about baby god that particular doctor i don't think that's it at all his story is most certainly not magnanimous in any way he was a rapist yeah a rapist a pervert a molester and I, and i know that a lot of these doctors and i did read a lot about a lot of doctors i mean there was just they're everywhere who've done this and one of the stories i read said one of the doctors at this at last count had 60 kids and then there was a two years later and it was like 200. So, I mean, it just goes on and on and on and on. And I also don't believe that they were doing it for magnanimous or scientific reasons. I really don't. I think if you're gonna do it for magnanimous or scientific reasons, you get consent. You don't do it without consent. And I think every one of those guys who worked at that Las Vegas clinic, they were disgusting and vile. And every one of them made my skin crawl. Yeah, they were all, they were all One guy scrolling through pictures of a woman with her legs in the stirrups. I'm like, he didn't get consent from her. You know, he didn't. I thought they were all vile. I mean, just gross, 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 gross. And then one guy's like, well, no one will ever find out. And they go, DNA is already finding it out. It's all, and he's like, oh, well, that's cool. Like he was flattered. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He was like giggling. He was in the the pool. Giggling about how there's probably a lot of his kids out there. Like, I thought guys were mortified about having a bunch of children. I know, I know, I know. Laws back then, by the way, didn't address this. He has gotten sued and he's gone to trial, but for things like fraud, not necessarily for rape. In some states, and I'll tell you, shout out to Texas who gets this right. There's a new law in the last 10 years or so in Texas that says this is equivalent to rape. If, If a doctor does this, you know, then... We're, we're not messing around. It is not fraud. It is a physical violation of another human being's body. So how many states do you think have laws about this? Only three states. Only three. And they're, they're all recent. So this is mm-hmm. a women's health mm-hmm. from December 5th, uh, 2020. Indiana, Texas, and California. That's it. So, and I agree with you. The Texas bill is the best one because... To date, the only state in the U.S., this was an older article, 
A law explicitly prohibiting fertility fraud is California, where in 1995, couples learned that unbeknownst to them, a fertility doctor was implanting their embryos inside of other patients. Oh, so, nice. So just nice. when you thought it was just uh, sperm, that was a problem. When you put your embryos up, can you imagine? No. You and your husband make an embryo and freeze it and it gets put into someone else and now you have a kid out there. So, okay, can I ask you a question? I mean, just uh, if you were the daughter of this guy and we didn't know, what if you just found that out? How would you feel about him? That's, that's a tough one for me. Cause you know, I did, I did an ancestry.com. I mean, I have views about my parents that they were very good, christian people and before i took the test i was like i need to be prepared for the fact that i might find out something untoward not because i think that that they did anything i just needed to be prepared for that like if you don't want to know personally who's found out they have siblings out there exactly if you don't want to know that your father was cheating if you don't want to know that your mother had an unwed pregnancy, if you don't want to know that your parents are not your parents, don't take a DNA test. So I, before I took the test, I was mentally prepared for it. Again, growing up religious, I have friends who, as they got into high school, started doing the math on their older brother or their older sister. And they're like, oh, mom and dad had sex before they got married. Oh, and, yeah. And just that knowledge shattered them emotionally so i think it would change things if you believed one thing about your parents marriage and you found out something else the thing that would would be most interesting to me would be because i i have an adopted sister but i don't have any um biological siblings i i would think it would be very interesting to have other people in the world that i shared dna with like i mean certainly it would affect me but again I did go into it prepared and it turns out at least so far, my parents were pretty on the up and up. So. <laughs> no, no, uh, no, going for you. <laughs> big reveal. <laughs> well, but I mean like the doctor, what have you found out if you were the child of this doctor and your mom had gone to him to get pregnant from your dad and he, he was and he no was no I mean like I would I would want to take him to court I would want him to go to jail so like, I think that's you and I read one case today that was shocking to me of a guy who had done this and I wish I wrote down so many names of these doctors Mortimer Jacobson Barwin Davis they're just all over the world with one guy in Indianapolis and this one woman found out that this doctor was her, you know, father. And she went to see him and she and her sister both were his children and they treated him like a dad and thanked him for getting their mom pregnant and really appreciated that and da 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 And I was like, I, I don't know what that would be like if I were them, but that sounded insane to me. That sounded, I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> like, well, see, this is why I'm trying to unpack some of this in stages of what I think the crime is, right? So I think the embryo thing is a whole nother conversation. Right, 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 right. But, but like, if you go into the doctor and you say, I want an anonymous donor, and the donor ends up being one of the doctors in the practice, technically that's a tough one. Just simply because as long as you never found out that it was a doctor, it's an anonymous donor. So I- Let I, me stop you there. Because I don't think I agree with that. I think if it's anonymous, it should be anonymous. That this person is in your life, in this practice, in the, the practice that you attend through your doctor or is your doctor, negates the understanding that it was anonymous. And that's still against your will. It's fraud for sure. I guess yeah. if, if it were me, I'd be pissed about it. And I would sue the crap out of this doctor. And yeah. I would go to the police. But maybe not everyone feels that way. That's all I'm saying um yeah that's the part I can't get my head around <laughs> right I mean well, I get you're like I'm glad I'm here yay me you know I'm glad I'm here but what if the, the guy had tried harder with your parents and your dad had actually been able to be your your father I mean what if you know like all right hmm. so here's a way to put it in perspective 
if you about whether or not you think it's rape or a violation this is okay. um, a vice article that i read and it describes what happened with this dr donald klein mm -hmm. klein so liz is the woman in this story her it's just her first name She's in the office of fertility doctor Donald Klein, waiting to receive artificial insemination using an anonymous donor, who she was told was a graduate resident. Klein walked into her room, handed her a drape to cover herself with, examined her, shut the door, and disappeared for a few minutes. Liz was thinking the doctor was going into what was referred to as the magazine room to collect the donor's semen. But he was actually going mm -hmm. into another room mm -hmm. to masturbate and collect his own semen. Mm -hmm. He then returns to the room with his own semen and uses that. I mean, that is, when you put it in that context, it's very rapey. <laughs> <laughs> right? Of course. There was one in this, in this movie that said he kept coming in and out of the room and I didn't know why. And then she ended up pregnant like oh god yeah so indiana calls it fertility fraud so they don't really consider it rape but the texas bill is pretty interesting it says the texas bill qualifies insemination using sperm from someone who the patient has not consented to as sexual assault mm -hmm. um the Texas bill really gets to the heart of what fertility fraud is not only a doctor betraying trust but betraying the doctor-patient fiduciary relationship, inserting himself literally or some part of himself into a woman's body cavity, betraying her autonomy, and also inserting himself and his own genetic lineage into her family tree against her will. Mm -hmm. And it's against her will because she was never given the opportunity to consent. And this is- See, that's part of, sorry, go ahead. The Vi this is also from the Vice article April 22nd, 2019. So that's one of the things that when you were saying that there, there might be some sort of a scientific mind or a problem solving mathematical mind who just ignores ethics and does it because it seems like it's the appropriate thing. I don't buy that. I think that they're doing it on purpose and I think they're doing it to, to get off. I think that, I think they're all creeps. I think they're all rapers. I think it's, I think it's a complete violation. The, the idea of using it without their consent that's that's the problem right if you really think it's the solution talk to them about it and let them tell you look i can get you pregnant but it's not necessarily going to be your husband's sperm have that conversation the fact that it's secret that's the violation and that's so oh i can't imagine that it's, yeah. It's yeah but imagine how that conversation is going to go right you're like listen i have a solution um my sperm is awesome and I've impregnated a lot of women. So why don't I just uh, impregnate you with my- Yeah, why not? You know, <laughs> they get off on bragging about it. You know, some right. of them, if that, if that was their bit, but their bit is to keep it a secret. That's what gets right. them off. So, so James, was, James was saying, if you want to put it into the, the sort of serial killer realm or that lexicon that- Always. Are, right that these are essentially voyeurs or a few steps away from being rapists in the traditional sense of the term. Like, you know how con artists and voyeurs, they get off on doing something in secrecy. So that's an element of this, I think. It is, I agree with that. And I, I, I think it would, you know, take it one step further of, of like, you tell yourself and a lot of child molesters do like Sandusky, for instance, would say, and he said it to himself and other people, I care about these boys. I love these boys. And him and his sickness and his fucked up perversion believes it's, it's an expression of affection in some way. You could tell me these guys who were rapey and even rapists believe that this is something that the woman wants or that her eyes say yes when her mouth says no or whatever. And that they're they're not necessarily waking up that morning and going, I'm going to rape somebody today. That sounds fun. But it doesn't mean it's not rape. Just because right. they tell themselves that. Like that ridiculous woman in Florida. Did you see the woman in the leopard print? The Karen, the latest Karen video? I don't think I have, no. Oh, Marie. I've been working 24-7. <laughs> oh, no. Well, there's, there's a, 
if you follow Rex Chapman on Twitter, he always retweets a lot of really either funny stuff or good political stuff, but he's, he's a good follow. And he reposted something from a Karen Twitter account mm-hmm. that keeps up with all the Karen stories. And this woman is sitting in this, in this um, Einstein Brothers bagels and she refused to put on a mask. And so they told her to leave and she wouldn't. So the police had to come out. Oh my God. And it starts getting videoed and then she refused to leave. And then they finally haul her outside. Would you know if her happy ass was black, they would have tased her where she stood. But they drag her outside and they finally arrest her. And as they're arresting her, she's screaming, I'm not under arrest. I'm not under arrest. I'm not under arrest. And all these people on Twitter were like, oh, is that how it works? Just to say it three times and if it comes true, you know, I'm going to try that next time, you know. Like you can tell yourself anything you want while they're handcuffing you. But babe, you're getting arrested. Yeah. And she had rapist. Yeah, but you you did the rape, so you are a race, you know, rapist. Right, right. So, you know, I always, I don't know what we'll call these, um, because they're they're not Q-tips, but you know, I always like to have. (laughs) I don't want to just prevent, I don't just want to present a fear and then like not offer you any way to protect yourself. But unfortunately, because only three states have laws that I know of on the books, this is a really tough one. To protecting your genetic material is really, really difficult. So I did a little research and the advice that they were giving was really bad. Like, and it, it's kind of endemic of our whole uh, insurance, a medical system in this country. They're like, how do you pick a gynecologist? The first, the first uh, bit of advice was, does the doctor take your insurance? Shut up. No. <laughs> the second bit of advice oh. was, are they conveniently located? That's helpful. So now this one seems like it would be helpful, which is getting referrals. But in the case of all these doctors, they were very successful at impregnating people with their own sperm. So I'm sure you're going to get a lot of good referrals, right? Everybody was referring Dr. Fortier. He had a booming practice. So you can't really pick a gynecologist based on referrals either. So go to Indiana, California, or Texas to get inseminated. Yeah, and and pick a woman. Uh, no offense, that's that's my advice. You got someone dealing with your lady parts, make it another lady. Because I didn't hear any stories. Have you, ever, have you ever heard of this phrase, reproductive coercion? No. Okay. I think that if I'm going to just extrapolate or you know expand on this idea of what reproductive coercion is and apply it to this, there's something that's um, it's common in interpersonal, you know, romantic relationships having to do with a guy forcing a choice on you. He tells you he's gotten a vasectomy or he pokes holes in the condom and he makes the choice for you to get People do that. Is that a yes. common thing? It is a thing. It is a, it is a thing. And it's one of the classifications of abuse in a romantic relationship. And so it's, I'm not defining it exactly. I'll put um, IFL Science, Teen Vogue, and New York Times are, are three of my sources and I'll put them on our website, fearthispodcast.com. The idea of it being within an interpersonal romantic relationship is one thing. It is abusive, where you take away a woman's reproductive choice within your relationship. And there's something about that, that control that gets a guy off, just like an abuser does. But this is, I think you take this one step further, or 10,000 steps further, or 600 kids further, and that these doctors have that thing too, where it's reproductive coercion, where you take away someone's choice about who's getting them pregnant, not just... Maybe they want to get pregnant. Sometimes they didn't. Sometimes they just wanted to get a you know referral for a yeast infection, whatever. Right. But you take away their reproductive choice. And, and so I think that there's a psychological condition that exists where a guy gets off on that. There was a guy years ago on Dr. Phil who was one of the creepiest things I'd ever seen. And he was obsessed with his own wife. He was like obsessed like with where she was all the time. And he would like make sure that she was late for work. He'd turn off her alarm clock so she'd be late for work so she'd get fired. So he'd, have, he'd get to spend, or he'd misbehave at her office to get her fired so she'd have to stay home with him. And he told her that he got a vasectomy and then she got knocked up again. You know, and it's just, it's another way of controlling someone. There's now, also- Is that, a, a, do you agree in, in reverse though? Cause like a woman who, who lies and claims that she's on birth control to entrap a guy? Oh yeah. Yeah. It takes away, absolutely, because what you're doing, it's the volition. You remove someone's volition, and that's what these guys are doing. Like, yes, they got pregnant. Yes, 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 they got pregnant, but you didn't give them choices to who they got pregnant from, and what if you'd said to these women, you know, Dr. Fortier or whatever your name is, look, here's your choices. 
and maybe some of them would have said absolutely sign me up yeah great i'm getting impregnated i don't care i'm gonna get pregnant just don't tell me who it is and i'm gonna get pregnant and we're gonna live our lives happily ever after but that's not what it's about i think it's about the control and the secrecy and that and that you're doing something that they didn't consent to that's that's what i think it's about i think i agree with you and i gotta say man if i went to the gynecologist for a yeast infection and ended up pregnant that would be a big bummer (laughs) (laughs) seriously big bummer (laughs) that's the name of our episode (laughs) that's a new thing for you to fear but you know we've given you our advice just do fertility before we wrap it up because I was reading about, and this is in the New York Times, called sperm donor fraud doctors, and how common this is. And it is so common. It's in, it's it's in not just the United States, Connecticut, California, Vermont, Idaho, Utah, Texas. It's also in thus far that we know of Canada, England, South Africa, Germany, and the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. These cases have happened. Yeah, yeah. and so because I go back to what you said about science, and if you're a scientist, or if you are wouldn't you want to solve the problem? Wouldn't you want to give her what she wanted and that's the solution? As in, here's your husband's sperm and let's figure out how to, the best way to get you pregnant with it. You know what I wonder, Marie? I wonder how many women went to that clinic and wasn't that creepy when she went in that hospital? I was like, we were on ghost adventures right now. Yeah. That abandoned hospital. Yeah, that was creepy. Creepy. And there's still paperwork and patient information everywhere. Probably the doctor's DNA is everywhere still. I bet you. But I wonder how many people went to that. They got pregnant from anybody other than those three doctors. Yeah. I mean, I can't wait to find out what other crazy things DNA is going to reveal. We want the information. It's like, I voted for the law in California to know the calories on things. And now I wish I was still in the dark. You know? Oh, they have to post the calories. Yeah. Yeah. So... It's really funny, actually. For? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's really funny because like Starbucks and some of those places, I'm sure that the zucchini muffins are smaller in California because nobody's going to buy a 1500 calorie zucchini muffin, right? So oh, now our, awful. Yeah, so now our muffins are like way smaller so they can be 600 calories or like the donuts are like, I don't know, a, a mini pancake. The size of a quarter. Yeah. <laughs> this is a two... 250 cal- calorie, a quarter size uh, donut. I would say with this DNA stuff, buckle up if you if you want to do it. I mean, it's not even just, it's knowledge about your health too. Like, do you want to know that you have markers for certain cancers? Right, right. want to know that you have. Of course, if you do, Monsanto owns all our genes, so you can't get tested from two different companies anyway. <laughs> There's a patent on genes. It's fucking fucked up, man crazy um far be it for me to agree with angelina jolie on anything but one of the reasons why i know about all that is because angelina jolie got tested for the breast cancer gene and monsanto when she went to go and get a second opinion before she had her breast removed monsanto's like there's nowhere else to get tested we own the breast cancer gene we own the gene wow fucked up you didn't know that i didn't i didn't but i i know a lot about um monsanto with regards to farming and like yes yes strains yeah. of seed and taking over yeah. people's farms because they're seeds. they go you know they go around they spread them around because yeah. the judges ruled oh if, the, if any of it's found in your farm then monsanto owns that was there's a guy driving down the street in his truck throwing the i'm sure i'm sure so yeah now, are we really we don't have any q-tips for this i feel like we should uh I mean, the, my tips, to be honest, my, I, I really, there wasn't much. Most of So here's my question for you, Maureen. When you go to get your exam, you're never just alone with the doctor, right? There's always somebody else in the room. Yeah, I think that is a good, I think that Which is. To me good. is, if there's, that's the number one thing. Only the doctor, especially if it's a male, but if it's only the doctor in the room, there needs to be somebody else in the room. And based on Larry Nasser, who abused all those women and gymnasts and mm-hmm. athletes, even with your mom in the room, he can still do it because he'll turn his back to your mom and block your body and stick his finger inside of you. Mm-hmm. So whoever it is that's in the room needs to be watching the whole time. This is something I just thought of. I think you have to know yourself as well and just think about your state of mind. I do feel really uncomfortable at the doctor just in general. And so 
I think for people who might be shy or a little bit introverted, something might happen in a gynecological exam and they might be afraid to say something. Mm -hmm. A lot of women still have this mentality that, well, he's a doctor, he's a man, he's, you know, there are crappy doctors. They're crap. Just because someone's a doctor doesn't mean they're smart. It doesn't mean they're good. And we have a history in this country of venerating doctors as like saints. And that's just not always the case. There's a lot of bad doctors. Well, if you've had to navigate the healthcare system at all, you know, and nobody's there for you. You got to be your own advocate. <laughs> I don't think I ever told you this, but so there's certain things I don't have James do for me anymore because his way of picking things doesn't make sense to me. Like, I think I told you on one of the other episodes, I don't have him book flights for me anymore because he just picks the cheapest one. So I'll fly to Canada to come back down to Oklahoma. It's like, doesn't make any sense. But um, when I first moved out to LA, I needed to get a gynecologist. And he was like, well, you should get one in Beverly Hills because they're the best. <laughs> I don't know why he determined that, but that's what he said. Okay. We were living, we're living in K-Town. It's really hard to navigate finding a doctor in LA. He ended up um, making me an appointment with this Dr. Michael Kamrava, who was the Octomom doctor. <laughs> what? That was my gynecologist. Yes. Hold on. How many seconds? So this is before um, Octomom. I thought he lost his license. This is before Octomom. Can you so, explain to people who Octomom is? Because that's a while back, but OMG, I'm going to die. So this doctor, Dr. Kamrava, oh. like purposefully impregnated someone with eight babies, right? Through artificial, he didn't personally do it. Yeah, he's not one of these doctors. No, he just, as far as we know, I don't know. <laughs> like he, she wanted this and he did it, which I think people found was an ethical breach to impregnate someone. Yeah, and she had eight kids all at once. Yeah. But anyway, when I, when I first went to this doctor, I arrive at this building in Beverly Hills and I, when I come to the front, you know, James and I have never wanted to have children. And so it was funny because when I went to the front door, it, the name of the, the office was like Beverly Hills infertility clinic or something like that. It was an infertility clinic. I mean, like why I'm just going there to get birth control. Yeah. <laughs> to an infertility clinic <laughs> can you imagine you go to an infertility clinic and you're meeting with the doctor and he's like why are you here today to get birth control <laughs> but he was he was a bit of a creeper I have to admit like when I was in the stirrups he touched the side of my leg and said you're not a California girl are you yeah that happened <laughs> right right and then throughout the examination he would just say random things about my biology or physiology and and i would be like he'd go he'd say he would say something about my body right and i would go is that something I should be concerned about? And he was like, no, I'm just making an observation. <laughs> you never went back, please, right? No, 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 no. I got the birth control and I got the fuck out of there. <laughs> no. Oh my God. Can you imagine? No. I mean, I went to a infertility clinic. I had no idea at that time that, thank, thank God I got out of there without getting pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god yeah okay, i have some q-tips we're gonna start calling them q-tips for no reason um <laughs> i have some q-tips and this is not for the women this is for the dudes those of you who want to get a girl pregnant and she doesn't don't that's my q-tip that's your cute <laughs> <laughs> unless she said that she wants to get pregnant by you don't do it enough is enough yeah, the, the thing is, when you give tips to people, I'm going to give you a tip, Becky. When you give tips to people. <laughs> is it a Q-tip, though? <laughs> no, I don't want to call them Q-tips, because that's, like, just for QAnon. we got to come up with the different. What are we going to call them? I like these. Oh. Well, anyway, I'm going to give you a tip, which is 
when you give advice mm -hmm. to people that are criminals, it's falling on deaf ears. <laughs> I mean, it's like, um, hey. What if they're not criminals? Guys, yes. Let me give you guys a, a little tip. Rape is bad. What if you do it? <laughs> what if they're not criminals yet? What if my little fear tip or whatever we're going to call them actually can get someone to go, you know what? I shouldn't do that. I was going to get her pregnant tonight without her consent. I think I'm going to rethink that. Do you Thank think, you, that, do you think that happens? Tell you, there's a lot of studies internationally, as well as in the U.S., and a lot of programs that have been launched to prevent violence against women, including sexual violence. And the ones that target women, the, the not ones, the programs that are aimed at women. The target women. I oh, know, it sounded really like, I'm so sorry. It was a violation of that. Yeah. The ones that are aimed at women reduce sexual violence and violence against women somewhat. Mm -hmm. But if you target the boys, it drops dramatically. Interesting. If you educate the boys. Yes, you educate the boys and the men. Then instances of abuse and sexual assault decrease, and instances of other boys stepping in to prevent another boy from behaving that way increase a lot. It's incredible. Yeah, I mean, I could put some stuff on our website, but I'm uh, these programs. I actually wrote a, a paper about this at Cambridge. These programs, there's there's some all over Africa, Zimbabwe, South Africa, and there's some all over the U.S. for high school, junior high, and even college boys. The boys are the ones that make the difference. Educate the boys. Well, that's interesting, and I I had never thought about that, but I guess in a way it makes sense because I do think I do think a lot of men and boys in particular, but I do think a lot of men may be confused by signals and, and messaging that they've gotten. The things we're going to talk about in our episode next week, which is girls, the idea of boys misreading signals and girls not quite putting out there exactly what her message is. And then he defaults to thinking she wants it. But if you teach boys, this means this, this means that. And one of the main things that, that is, is not just the no means no, but if you go one step further is wait for the yes. Mm -hmm. Then there's no misunderstanding on the boy's part. Absolutely none. You wait for the yes. So that stuff to me is really interesting, but you got to educate the boys as well as the girls, but you got to get the boys. You got to get the boys. Well, and imagine if, if your main uh, experience with sex is watching violent pornography. Oh, it's a problem. Then maybe when you have a, a first encounter with a woman, maybe you think that's what women like. Well, the prevalence of, of, of porn from kids early ages these days is, has changed everything. I mean, it's changed. It's changed uh, how, how men after a while can't even get it up, even with Viagra. Yes, yes. I, they need they need even, even riskier sex and it fuels human trafficking and it's all connected. It's uh, yeah. not to bring us down, but that, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's all connected. So, all all right. right. So you want me to outro this? Outro it, baby. You have been listening to Now Fear This. Please go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Give us five stars. Give us a good review for us to read on the show, which I think we're going to try and read a couple of reviews next time. For I haven't checked the email lately, but maybe we have one of those as well. Go to our website and subscribe there. It's fearthispodcast.com. And you will get exclusive life-changing content. Your life will change, no doubt. In a good way? I didn't promise that. <laughs> it could be like it's the it luck could be the like that Naomi Watts movie. What's yeah. the one? It's, what is it? Circle or Ring or something? Twenty-one grams. I don't know. You could know it could be the Ring. The ring. If you watch it, you're like your life is over in two days. Oh, the Ring! I love that movie. That's great. Yeah, it was good. It was creepy. Our podcast won't kill you. It's not that kind of life-changing thing. Are you sure? I'm positive. Yay! You're not listening your to happy it right. note, ladies and gentlemen. If it kills you, you're not listening to it right. You like it's your own fault. Are you you had your radio, your plug-in <laughs> radio by the bathtub, and that's the only way it can. Yes, please don't listen to us while you're in the bathtub if you have an electric device by. <laughs> that's all the all the <laughs> Yeah, I think we're done. I think we're done. All right, see you next time. Bye. -bye. Bye, -bye.